uh, we're going to do chapter 3 this Sunday and chapter 4 next week. Jonah's in the Old Testament. Can you hear it? Okay. Verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Say it again one more time. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this Sunday. Thank you that we can come together as a body, as a family. I just pray, God, you take away the nerves and uh, anxiety. And just pray, God, that your word be exalted, expounded, and that it would edify your people. Thank you for this time together, Lord. Pray you be with those who aren't able to be here this morning. And all the people said, Amen. I remember when I was a boy that I got a toy for Christmas one year. And it was called an Etch-A-Sketch. How many of you remember what an Etch-A-Sketch? Oh, wow, a lot of us. It was a little red thing that had two white knobs. And if you turn one knob, the line would go up and down. And if you turn the other knob, the line would go left to right. And if you were really good, you turn both knobs, and then the line would go diagonal, and you could even make a circle. Things like that. I never drew anything good, but I, I like doing all that. And you could write... And you could draw pictures with the Etch-A-Sketch. But the really good thing, the really cool thing about the Etch-A-Sketch was that if you made a mistake, you just shook it. And whatever you drew was erased from the screen. That was the cool thing. You started over with a clean slate. And that's what God does. When we as Christians confess and acknowledge our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and lets us start over with a clean slate. Amen. Men? So we're going to recap. In chapter 1 of Jonah, Jonah is commissioned to go to Nineveh and preach God's message. But that rebellious prophet ran from God So, as soon as they threw him overboard, the moment he hit the water, the Bible says the sea ceased from its raging. The pagan sailors saw that, and so what they did was they offered up a sacrifice to the Lord because they feared the Lord. And then, something really fantastic happened. The Lord prepared a giant whale to come and swallow Jonah. I was just checking to see if you're paying attention. You're right, Ken. It wasn't a, a, a giant whale. It was a giant fish. Okay? I was just checking. Yes, it was a giant fish. The Lord pursued Jonah. That whole chapter 1, the Lord pursued Jonah. In chapter 2, Jonah is in the belly of a fish for three days and three nights. He doesn't have a cell phone. He doesn't have a computer. He doesn't have a radio or a nice 60-inch TV to entertain him. What do you think he did for those three days? What do you think he did? 
I think he had three days to reflect. And God, who created the heavens and the earth, commanded the fish to vomit Jonah on the dry land, and the fish obeyed. This demonstrates the miraculous power of God. The miraculous power. Chapter 3 is about verse 1. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. The Lord gives this rebellious, disobedient prophet a second chance. And if you think it's wonderful that God gives second, third, fourth, and fifth chances, say amen. Amen. Telling you, for me, it's, 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 it's more like in the hundreds. The Bible tells us that Jesus was crucified between two thieves. Both Matthew and Mark say that the criminals hurled insults at him. But then in Luke, one of the criminals changes his mind. As he hung on that cross, he remembered his life of sin and crime. And he changed his mind. He even rebuked the other criminal, saying, Don't you fear God, since we're under the same sentence? We are justly punished, and we are getting what our deeds deserve. Today I want to preach on the third chapter of Jonah, the rebellious prophet who got a second chance. It's a simple sermon, three points. The restoration of Jonah, the repentance of Nineveh, and the response of God. The restoration of Jonah. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. That is the God of the second chance. God isn't pointing his finger at Jonah, going like this. Or maybe one of you had a mother that was like this, with her hands on her hip. Maybe like my mom, frowned it. Oh, it was bad. In verse 2, he says, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. That's almost exactly like Jonah 1 and 2. God's will hasn't changed. He told them three things to do. Arise, which means get up, go, and preach. Arise, get up, and go and preach. Three things that God told him to do. And here, Jonah is restored. God hit the reset button. Jonah is recommissioned in chapter 3. God of the second chance. Jonah is restored. Moses was a murderer. He murdered an Egyptian at age 40. The great author who wrote the five books of the Old Testament. The great lawgiver who received the Ten Commandments. God used this great prophet to do many miracles. And in Exodus 3.10, it says that God called him to deliver the Israelites from Egypt and Pharaoh after 400 years in captivity. He was 80 years old when he started and became the great deliverer and led the Exodus. How many of you are... Oh, never mind. I won't say that. 80 years old when he started this ministry. God of the second chance. That's amazing. Who else was given a second chance? Samson was a womanizer. He's a paradox. He was strong before men and weak before women. Samson was called by God from the womb to deliver the Israelites. And he winds up in Delilah's lap. 
She sets him up and the Philistines come, arrest him, bring him down to the dungeon and gouge his eyes out. And here in Judges 16.28, he he repents and he prays to God. He is physically blind at this point, but he can see better than he ever could before. He asks the little boy to take him to the center of the columns. And there, that little boy carried him and he put his arms against those two columns. And he prays to God for one final feat of strength. He says, oh, sovereign Lord, remember me. Oh, God, strengthen me just one more time. People on that last push, God of the second chance. David was a teenager when he was called to be the king. But David committed adultery with Bathsheba and murdered her husband Uriah. But God worked. And you know the story about Nathan. And then Jonah, I mean, uh, David finally admits, I have sinned. He confesses, I have sinned against the Lord in 2 Samuel 12, 13. And God still forgave him and used him to do many things. God of the second chance. What about Peter? Peter made the famous statement in Matthew 16. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Then, before Jesus is crucified, Peter denies Christ three times. In Matthew 26, 74, says, Then he began to invoke curse on himself and to swear, I don't know the man. And immediately the rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter went out and wept bitterly. But, in John 21, Peter is forgiven when the risen Christ tells him to go and feed my sheep. This demonstrates God's great mercy. God of the second chance. So we saw Moses. We saw Samson. We saw David. We saw Peter. And there's another one I want to tell you about. In Acts 13, verse 13, we read about Paul's first missionary journey with Barnabas. And in verse 13, Paul was surprised because he looks around and John Mark is gone. Where'd he go? Couldn't find him. John Mark went home. He just deserted them. He left them. Well, Paul wasn't very happy about that. He, if you read some of the commentaries, it says that John Mark was a mama's boy. I don't know about that, but he ran home, basically. And left them on their first missionary journey. Paul felt John Mark was a failure. And John Mark is the one who wrote the second gospel. The gospel of Mark. Later in Acts 15. Two chapters later. Barnabas wants to bring John Mark with him again. But Paul wasn't about to let that happen. Not after he deserted them the first time. There was a sharp disagreement. Between Paul and Barnabas. So it was so sharp, Paul took Silas and Barnabas took John Mark to go uh, on their um, mission. And, but later on, Paul mentions John Mark highly in 2 Timothy 4.11. It says, get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful for me in the ministry. Here at the end of Paul's life, he wants to see him again because he is useful. God of the second chance. 
Maybe some of you have failed in ministry or in your marital relationships or have had problems with your parents. You can be forgiven and be given a second chance. God wants to restore you and make you useful for Him. There was a popular pastor in Mountain View who had an extramarital affair in 2009, and he had to resign from the ministry. But he repented, and now he pastors a church in Fremont and is on the radio even. He was given a second chance. No sin, no sin is too great for God to forgive if you confess and you repent. God of the second chance. I thank God that he gives second chances. So right here in chapter, in, in chapter 3, we have the restoration of Jonah. Now let's look at the second point. The repentance of Nineveh. Verse 4. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. And he called out, Forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with that sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. That word turn is the word repentance. In the Hebrew, it's shub. And it means to turn from something to something. It is used four times in verses 8 through 10. In Greek, the word is metanoia. It means a change of mind that results in a change of life. It's like a a U-turn. It's a change of direction. In Mark 1.15, Jesus said, The time was fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So repentance and believing go together. They go hand in hand. When you believe or you trust in Jesus and turn to God, you turn away from your sin. That is repentance. 1 Thessalonians 1.9 says, How you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. The Thessalonians turned from idols to God. I like that. There's a turning. There's a change of direction. In John chapter 4, you don't have to turn to it, Jesus met a Samaritan woman at the well, and he asks her for a drink of water. She was shocked because the Jews hated the Samaritans, and they hated the Jews because the Samaritans were half-breeds. And verse 6 tells us that it was noon. It was the sixth hour. In, 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 in Jewish time, that's 12 o'clock noon. And going to get water was women's work. The women would go, and the custom was that women would go early in the morning or they would go late in the evening because it wasn't scorching hot in the the afternoon. But this Samaritan woman goes at noontime. She wants 
to avoid all those Jewish women. She claims to be a worshiper. And she asks Jesus, where is the true place of worship? Mount Gerizim or Jerusalem? And Jesus answers her in verse 24, that is not where you worship, but how you worship in spirit and in truth. She responds, she says, I know that the Messiah will come and he's coming and he's going to explain everything. She's a very religious woman and she knows a lot about the Bible, but it was all intellectual knowledge. There was no repentance, a change of mind that results in a change of life. Jesus said, bring your husband and we'll talk. And she says, I don't have a husband. He goes, you're right. You've had five husbands and the the man you're with now is not your husband. And she was kind of like, whoa, I perceive you are a prophet. That's why she went to go get water at noon to avoid all those women because she was living in sin. She was doing what she wanted. She knew about God intellectually, but there was no repentance. And I want to say this real loud and clear. You cannot have salvation without repentance. The idea is turning away from your old lifestyle and turning to God for forgiveness by believing that Christ died on the cross and rose from the dead. That's just like today. Everybody wants to do their own thing. Do what you want. But the problem in the churches today that people haven't de- departed. They haven't forsaken. They haven't turned away from their old lifestyle. Jesus told the lady caught in the jaw tree, where are those who, who condemn you? She goes, no one, Lord. He goes, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. He admonished her to repent. He admonished her to go sin no more. A change of mind that results in a change of life. Basically, Jesus said, turn away from adultery and turn to God. Genuine faith always changes lives. If your faith doesn't change your life, then it's not real faith. It's going to change your life. There's going to be a change of direction. There's going to be a change of mind. Genuine faith always changes lives. Let's turn to Mark. I already told you Mark 1.15. But uh, it, Jesus preached, repent and believe. See, God requires repentance and belief in the gospel. Repent and believe, Jesus said. John the Baptist preached the baptism of repentance. Peter preached in Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized. Paul preached repentance. Repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, Acts 20.21. The apostles preached repentance. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. Mark 6.12. Believing without repentance is religion. Believing without repentance is religion. And I thought about something. I thought repentance without believing is moralism. I I never thought about that. Repentance without believing is moralism. So let's look at verse 3. It says, So that Jonah arose, went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was exceedingly a great city, three, city, three days journey in breath. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. 
And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. They called for a fast. What's a fast? A fast is when you refuse to eat or drink. So here in times of danger, they would refuse to eat or drink so they could pray until the danger was over. That was a fast. They put on sackcloth, verse 5. And the people believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. I have some sackcloth here. Um, we're going to pass it around. And if, 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 you're, if you're allergic to burlap, then don't, I, you know, don't hold on to it very long. Don't, don't rub it against your face. Sackcloth, like this, is an uncomfortable material. It's, it's coarse. It's ugly. It's, and it's, I, I, I cut it in half this morning and I, I started itching all over the place. I was like, oh, this is not good. Sackcloth was regarded as a sign of humility and utter dependence on God. So you didn't wear this during, you know, normal times. It was only during, during times of danger as a sign of humility that you would put on this sackcloth. Can you imagine having that on all over your body? Oh, it's, it's not good. And then we see that the king of Nineveh removed his robe, replaced them with sackcloth, and he sat in ashes. Why did they have to sit in ashes? I didn't want to bring any ashes so that you guys could touch all that. This is a graphic way of declaring that man is nothing in the face of God. You're just dust. We are nothing in the face of God. And then the verse uh, 7, the royal decree that everybody and beast can you believe that? Not just people, but also the livestock and the animals were not to eat or drink water and to be covered with sackcloth. And by putting on the sackcloth, this symbolized that man and animals, basically nature, were humbling themselves and praying to God. That's what that signified. Then we see in verse 8, he says to, to call out to God. But let... Uh, everyone call out mightily to God. They had to pray. So they, they took time during this danger because they knew the hammer was getting ready to come down and they prayed, God, help us. Everybody knew the Ninevites were brutal people. They were violent. If you remember when I preached the first time, they would take the skulls and, and make mounds of, of the skulls so people, when they came in, could see them. They would march around with people's head when they got beheaded. I remember I told you about uh, the movie with um, Braveheart when they would stretch out people. and They were violent people. Everybody knew that. And here it says in verse... Eight. Verse 8. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mildly to God. Let everyone turn, repent, chub from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. My footnote says that the physical violence and social injustice were hallmarks of the Assyrian Empire. They were famous for this. They were known for this. And they were aware that their mistreatment and social injustice was going to bring God's judgment upon them. They knew that. So they're all praying. Even the, even the king praying in sackcloth and ashes. That's a sign of humility. 
And they're saying, maybe, maybe, God will, maybe God will let us, maybe God won't judge us that, like that. Maybe he'll have mercy on us. And guess what? A miracle happened. The whole city of Nineveh turned from violence and social injustice and turned to God. This was amazing. From the king on the throne to the peasant on the street. They all believed. They all turned and believed. This is probably the greatest revival in all time. The Bible says in the next chapter that 120,000 people were saved. 120,000. Some people... Some commentators say, well, this is just referring to children because they don't know their left hand from the right. So they say as many as 600,000 people were saved. I don't know. I, I, I just know that's a lot of people. That's more than the people here in Redwood City. 120,000. That might include all the people here in Redwood City and San Carlos. That's a lot of people. 120,000 people. That's got to be the greatest revival of all time. It's got to be. But you, sitting here today, you must also turn from your sin and believe in Jesus Christ to be saved. It's not enough to turn away from your sin. You must turn from something to God. It's not enough to feel bad, say, oh, I shouldn't have done that. You must turn away and turn to God. Away from something and to something. A change of mind that results in a change of life. Turn to Matthew 21. Leave your something there, your bulletin or something in Jonah chapter 3. Turn to Matthew 21. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. But don't lose your place. Jesus tells a story here in Matthew 21, verse 28. Matthew 21, 28. The parable of the two sons. What do you think, he said? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go to work in the vineyard today. And he answered, I will not. But afterward, he changed his mind and went. And he went to the other son and said the same. And he answered, I go, sir. In Spanish, it would be, Mande? Mande usted? Yes. I go, sir, but he did not. Which of the two did the will of the Father, they said? The first. Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, the tax collectors and prostitutes go into the kingdom of God before you. Wow. One more. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even when you saw it, you did not afterward change your minds and believe him. Jesus is telling the Pharisees and the chief priests that they would not enter the kingdom of God. Why? Why won't they get in? Because they didn't repent and believe. And he tells them, this is a huge insult. He tells them, prostitutes and tax collectors are going to get in the kingdom of God.
Fiction. Man. This elite group would not get into the kingdom of God because they did not repent and believe. And it's the same thing today. Jesus is calling people to repent and believe. That's the only way to get in. It's not by coming to church. It's not by being a good person. We can never be good enough. It's through repentance and believing. The two go together. So one, we looked at the restoration of Jonah. Two, we looked at the repentance of Nineveh. And thirdly, the response of God. Look at verse 10. In Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. When God saw what they did, how they turned, you could even say repented, from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. What was the disaster? Verse 4. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Jonah preached God's wrath. Forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Jonah preached wrath. What, what is wrath? I mean, angry, angry, ang- there's, there's five levels of anger, and I'm not, I'm not, that's another sermon, but wrath is like rage, it's rage, it's anger, that's what Jonah was preaching, and he preached it loudly, passionately, and wholeheartedly, all in God's names. When I was studying and preparing this, I read many of the commentaries said that Jonah probably preached uh, also forgiveness too. So they, they, they had to choose. That they had a choice. You know, that God, God would forgive them if they turned and repented. Or next week, why? But he wanted God's wrath to come down on them. He enjoyed preaching wrath. And he did it with glee, not with tears. Because he couldn't wait for God's hammer to come down and get him. But God responded with mercy. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he didn't do it. Mercy is one of the great attributes of God. It is his person. It is who he is. Dave read in in Psalm 103 today, verse 8 said, The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Yes, the Lord has acts of mercy. Yes, we see examples of that in the Bible. But the Bible says that God is mercy. It involves his person, who he is. Psalm 119.64, The earth, the Lord, is full of your mercy. Psalm 119, 156. Great is your mercy, O Lord. In Ephesians 2, 4. But God being rich in mercy because of his his great love with which he loved us. Mercy is one of the great themes of the book of Jonah. There's so many great themes in this book of only 48 verses. Jonah had no problem receiving God's mercy. He had no problem being delivered from the fish. He had no problem being given a second chance. 
He had no problem being forgiven, but he did not want the Ninevites to be forgiven. He didn't want them to receive God's mercy. Can you believe that? He didn't want to extend that mercy to the Ninevites. He wanted judgment. And when you come to the Lord, you're not coming to somebody who is sitting there with a baseball bat, ready to clobber you every time you do something wrong, every time you make the wrong move. The Bible teaches that God's essential nature and character is mercy. Grace is what God gives us what we do not deserve. Let me say that again. Grace is when God gives us what we do not deserve. Mercy is when God does not give us what we do deserve. There is never a moment when you came to the Lord that he stopped being merciful. Can you say amen? God is merciful. His mercy is great. His mercy is greater than all our sins. We sang that song, greater uh, great is thy faithfulness. We sing that song, uh, Grace that is greater than all our sins. God's mercy is greater than all our sin. Greater than that. And you can be forgiven. You can be given a second chance, just like Moses, like David, like Samson, like Peter. In, in the Hebrew, mercy, mercy is chesed. It means loving kindness. God's covenant love for his people A merciful kindness that overlooks their inability to repay or even return his love. When Terry got up and shared about that song, about years I spent in vanity and pride, I get it. I get what he's saying. Because that's us. That's us before we came to Christ. We we ignored God's ways. We broke his laws. We did everything we could to run away from God. But then uh, mercy there was multiplied to me. And that's what Terry was saying. Pardon. There I, I found liberty at Calvary. That's the mercy of God. You receiving something that you don't, you not receiving something that you deserve. That's mercy. Jonah didn't preach repentance, but the Ninevites repented and were saved from certain destruction. God is merciful even to wicked people like you and me. Salvation belongs to the Lord. That's the good news. That's the gospel. That a good man can go to hell and a bad man can be saved and go to heaven if he repents and believes. The world says, oh, that's not just. That's not just. You don't want justice, getting what you deserve. You want mercy, not getting what you deserve. So we see these three points. The restoration of Jonah, the repentance of Nineveh, and the response of God. In ending, I grew up in the Catholic Church. Went to Mass, confession. I went to Solano Community College And there was a group there called the Navigators. They were a Christian group. And I was being nice, you know, I don't like to be rude. They would always come up and talk to me about Jesus. I was like, man, these people always talk to me about I told them, I'm I'm Catholic, I'm Catholic. And they would see me and Danny. I I went through two pair of Nikes running from them. Because I would even hide in the bathroom. 
I just, I would hide in the bathroom because they were in the hallway looking for me. So I ran. They loved to talk about Jesus. I would avoid them. And then I met Eva, and we started dating. I, uh, at that time, 1979, I was making $10 an hour. So I was making good money. I had a brand new Z28 Camaro. My nickname was Disco Dan. Because I danced and I partied and I did all that. But I still felt empty inside. Something, even though I had all so much of the world, something was missing. And I knew it in my heart. And I tried to cover it up. It looked like I, like I had it all. I had a brand new Z28. I had a great job. I had long, dark, wavy hair. Then my girlfriend, Eva, she became a Christian. And she totally changed. Her, and she, our relationship changed. And guess what? She broke up with me. She dumped me for Jesus. I was like, oh, man, I, I was heartbroken, but what could I do? So she invited me to church, and I went to make her happy. I thought, okay. But that service was three hours long. Three hours. Can you imagine being here for three hours? I was like, this is... And I saw things I'd never seen before. People were raising their hands, singing. They, they closed their eyes, and they were worshiping God. They, were, they, were, they all carried a Bible, and they, and they opened it. You know... They would shout, Amen, preach it, brother. And I was like, wow, this is so different. And I sat there and he preached, that pastor. And I hardened my heart. And he told me that I was a sinner and I needed a savior. But I didn't want any part of that. And then uh, Eva asked me to church again. I said, oh, no, 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 that's three hours long. I'm good for the month. Mass is only 45 minutes. That's, that's, yeah, that's four Sundays. So a month later she called and I went. This time I got convicted. This time I felt I had broken God's law. And I went forward and um, I asked God to forgive me for all my wicked sins. God forgave me. The power of sin was broken. I was born again. I turned from my sinful ways. And I turned to God through faith in Jesus Christ. I loved, I loved the Bible. I love going to church, but most of all, I love Jesus. I had a relationship with Jesus instead of a religion. And the blood of Jesus cleansed me and forgave me. I no longer felt empty. I had joy. And I shared this joy with everyone. I told them about my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, it was wonderful. I saw a change in, they saw a change in my life. And I was no longer Disco Dan. But disciple Dan. Amen. I've been a Christian for 40 years now. Um, and I've learned something. It doesn't matter if you're the pastor, the elder, the worship leader, part of the worship team, the, the, the music people or the technicians. It doesn't matter if you're the Sunday school teacher, usher, greeter, or anything like that. God doesn't call us to be successful. God calls us to be faithful. And to love Jesus 
with all our heart and soul. And I thank God that he gave me a second chance after running away from him. I just want to say to you, stop running. Turn to God. No matter if you're a Christian, you can turn to God and be restored. If you're not a Christian, you can turn to God and be forgiven. You can be saved. It just takes you to humble yourself and acknowledge that you have broken God's law. He's there. But he's not there with a bat. He's there with his arms wide open. Let's pray. You can be saved today by believing and repenting in Jesus Christ as your Savior. And all you have to do is pray in in your heart right now. Lord, please, please forgive me. Have mercy on me, a sinner. I turn to you, God. I give my heart to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.